This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is In the Workplace on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here are Professor Peter Capelli and Dan O'Mara. Hey, folks. Welcome back. I'm Peter Capelli. Dan O'Mara is at the spa again uh, this week with some lipo-something procedure. I'm not sure exactly. We'll have our crack team of reporters work on that and see if we can find out exactly what he's having done this week. Uh, But with us instead of Dan is Yvonne Branke, professor of management here at the Wharton School and of Business Economics. Welcome back, Yvonne. Oh, it's glorious to be here again. (laughs) You know, that is exactly what most of us say when we walk in the studio. It's glorious to be here. Uh, It is Thursday, uh, which means we're approaching the big Labor Day holiday and the big Labor Day weekend. And Labor Day is a time um, which is not was not a holiday pick for barbecues, actually. It was a holiday pick to commemorate uh, working people and labor and the contributions of laboring people as opposed to people who own stuff and executives. And so with that in mind, it's a pleasure to have Rebecca Ray come back with us. Rebecca is the executive vice president of the Knowledge Organization. That's a cool new title at the conference board. And the conference board does every year a report on the satisfaction of workers in the U.S., and they got the new results, and I believe we're hearing them here first. Hope that's right. Rebecca, how are you? Uh, I'm well, Peter. How are you? Uh, well, we'll do. Um, Yvonne and I will do our own satisfaction test here in just a second. <laughs> of our, is it a five or a seven point Likert scale? Here? Yeah, we got a Likert scale. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how we're doing on ours. But I think we're fine. So, uh, Rebecca, before we get down to business, is this a new title for you, Vice President of Knowledge Organization? You know, Executive Vice President. Yes, Executive. Sorry. Yeah. Well, no, no, that's that's fine. I was just in the mood to sort of um, self-aggrandize, so I, I, I may have a different one for next month. But, but I thought I'd roll <laughs> right. with that one for a little while. <laughs> I like that idea. Why not? Create Why not? create your own title is a very right. maybe it's a good way to get job satisfaction. Up. I was going to say it helps with my job satisfaction immensely. <laughs> right. You know that was a big deal. Uh, title inflation, particularly when the economies were. It's kind of hard to raise wages, so maybe it's coming back now, right? Where you wouldn't give people a pay raise, but you give them a title increase, right? Some of that's still going on now, I think. So, yeah. I, I'm I'm sure there is still still some of that going on, but I'm I'm not sure that's going to be enough to to really uh, keep things moving in a overall satisfaction rising trend direction. Yeah, you yeah. can't you, you can't eat it, as they say. So, yeah. Rebecca, let me ask you about this survey first. How long has the conference board been doing the survey? It's been quite a while, right? Yeah, since uh, 1987. 1987, okay. One of the very longest-running job satisfaction uh, longitudinal studies. And um, so what's interesting, I think, uh, this time is that uh, we're seeing a real uh, continued trend in terms of overall job satisfaction in the seventh year in a row. So, you know, uh, we're returning to some of the same kinds of tightness Mm -hmm. uh, in the job market and and some of the, the same kinds of, Markers that we saw just uh, just before things were so bad in the Great Recession, you know. Yeah, let's uh, maybe before we get into what the survey uh, found, let me just ask about job satisfaction per se. So uh, this used to be very commonly uh, collected data. We used to call it, mm-hmm. you'll recall, morale surveys that people companies used to do, and companies used to take this pretty seriously. Uh, but if you're not 
into that world, why should you care about job satisfaction? I mean, so what, right? Some people sure. would say, why does it matter? Well, I think it matters because organizations need to have a sense of how much their their employees are satisfied or content uh, with, okay. with the job that they have. Mm-hmm. And they can take action on those areas where job satisfaction is not high. Mm-hmm. And in the moment when we talk about some of the areas where they are more satisfied than in others, uh, it's important to, I uh, think, for all organizations to do an assessment as to where they could redouble their efforts to fix some things that are, in some cases, some rather low-hanging fruit. Okay. I think the other thing is that job satisfaction is not the same as employee engagement or employee experience. It's, it's part of it. Right. Uh, but I think a lot of people are finally uh, understanding that they need to understand and care for and support their employees and understand them in ways that they've tried to understand their customers mm-hmm. for years. Okay. And when you have that kind of um, understanding of your employees, it's it's easier, not easy, but easier uh, to help drive uh, productivity and to retain them and to have high-performing teams and a decent workplace and a, a decent culture. Mm-hmm. And you can't really do that unless you're looking at mm. all the different factors that go okay. into an employee's experience. Now, that's a good thought, that this is kind of the underpinning of all those other more more concrete, output-oriented things we're thinking about, right? I think that's, could I, is that rephrasing what you've said? Yeah, no, I think that's right. Okay. So uh, that's one reason if you're an employer. Let me suggest another reason why we ought to pay attention to this, and that is because well, you know, we ought to care whether people are miserable or not, right? And if they're happy, even if you're a flinty-eyed, um, you know, CEO, you ought to care about whether the people that who work for you are having a miserable time or not. Um, so to yeah. so to focus on the gross domestic gross domestic happiness rather than the GDP. Mm. Well, um, there's some there has been some push for that yeah. among some researchers mm-hmm. that you know mm-hmm. looking at GDP or GDP growth is actually a poor measure of the welfare of society. Yeah, I think right. I think that's right. You don't want people to be miserable. So uh, let's talk about what you found. So the headline here is that 51% of U.S. employees report they're overall satisfied with their job. Is that a woohoo finding or an oh no finding? Well, let's not break out the champagne for a 51% um, right. Right. You know, satisfaction. But I do think that the trend line is what's important here. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I certainly would like to see this trend line as opposed to others, you know, but... Uh, I think, like anything else, the average score is uh, important, but mm-hmm. it's really when you take a look at what are the what are the elements among the 23 uh, components that we, we include in the survey okay. that would tell you where organizations are, generally speaking, doing well uh, and not so well. Yeah. Before we get to those, which is pretty interesting, can you remind us, uh, since it's been up for seven years, where was it when that trend, uh, upward trend began? So seven years ago is 2011. 2011. It was 2011. A distinct, okay. A distinct, a distinct jump from 42.6 to 46 and change, I think it was. Yeah. And that was really the, the turning point, you know, for uh, for overall satisfaction rates. Now, here's what's interesting about this for listeners who've got a long um, experience and that it used to be the case that job satisfaction was highest in economic downturns. Uh, And the highest job satisfaction ever reported, as I understand it, was during the U.S. Great Depression. And the reason for that, if you think about it, job satisfaction is basically measured from those people who have jobs, right? And during the Great Depression, if you had a job, suddenly it was looking pretty good to you uh, because everybody around you didn't have a job. 
Um, but what's interesting to me here is that it actually looked like it declined, right, during the Great Recession, since if 2011 was the bottom, um, it must have been higher before the Great Recession. Is that right? Yes, it was. Um, in fact, uh, 52% and change back in 2005 yeah. was one of the more recent high water marks. You have to go back to like 95, I think, to get to get something higher than that. Right. Um, but I think also what you had happening in this time is that, yes, there were uh, you were absolutely right that, you know, if you have a job, there's a great deal more that you can do in terms of maintaining your standard of living and supporting your family and all those things. So there is there is that filter. Mm -hmm. I think also it's the same time at which you started to see, you know, the decline of uh, unions, uh, massive layoffs in, in many industries or companies where they'd prided themselves on not having, you know, those kinds of drastic measures. Oh, and before. I, I think that's when mm -hmm. you, you begin to see the, you know, the breakdown of the employment contract. You know, yep. you look at Rick Wartzman, uh, his, his great book on the end of loyalty, you know, kind of maps that all out for you, you begin to to mm. see how, you know, these factors sort of were con uh, confluence and... Uh, and I think that's that's part of what's at play there. Or my book before that one called The New Deal at Work, which predates yes. that one by a bit. <laughs> and how right. could I have forgotten that, Peter? You right, there you go. So well, I'm here. I, I'm, I am remiss. <laughs> right. I am remiss. I'm here to remember to remind you of that. Uh, but I think <laughs> I think there's something else that, that was going on too, and that is it used to be in these economic downturns, these recessions. Um, that uh, people who lost their jobs more or less got their jobs back. Uh, before 1985, you'll know that we didn't bother collecting data on permanent job loss because the assumption was when the business comes back, you'll get your job back. And if you had a job during those downturns, you didn't necessarily get squeezed. You know, you got the same pay, the same hours of work. And more recently, and particularly I think at this last recession, if you had a job um, – it wasn't just that everything stayed the same, right? Um, That's correct. You effort, could be in a, yeah. You could be in a different job that pays less, that yep. has perhaps, you know, you don't have yep. seniority in this new, new way that you've had to reinvent yourself. That's absolutely right. And hours and, of work sometimes went up, stress levels went up, all kinds of things, right? Exactly. So, yeah. And, you know, rightly or wrongly, so many of us associate at least a good part of how we see ourselves and who we think we are through the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you are then taken from a job where you have, you know, a positive association or pride in the certifications or skills that you've mastered or, you know, degrees you've gotten or whatever the, the, the benchmark is, and now you're sort of starting again, it has to do something to your psyche, yep. I would think. Yeah, no, I think that's right. So let's talk a little bit about the trend. So it's up. It's been up now for seven years as the economy has improved, and that's uh, that's a good thing. It's up fastest for lower-income households. Tell us what you think is going on there. Yeah, you know, I think generally speaking, um, those who are making uh, less than 75000 a year are generally speaking less satisfied than those who are making more than 75,000 yep. mm -hmm. uh, a year. But the increase uh, in, uh, in the conditions for them, and particularly because I think the tightening labor market has, has helped make those conditions more visible, more rapidly improving. Okay. And I think that's what you're seeing here. Okay. So uh, we hear some of this on the wage side, uh, right? And that is that there's been maybe more upward pressure at the very bottom 
of the labor market than elsewhere, which probably isn't too surprising uh, because that's, you know, wages have been kind of more stuck there for a while and been more downward pressure on those before. So do you think that's, uh, this is just tight labor market or do you think something else is going on with those folks? I think it's largely that. I think it's also the fact that there's, uh, you know, you look at some of some of the other research that we do with consumer confidence and whatnot at the, the conference board, and people are fairly optimistic. And I think if you have been uh-huh. sort of, you know, behind the parade at the end of the parade on a lot of these things because mm-hmm. of the, let's say, lower skill sets or lower up, lower levels of opportunity, you know, just the fact that you begin to think that things are going to be even better uh, just around the corner uh, might have a great deal to do with your overall responses to the job okay. you have now. Yeah, so hope matters. I think so. Mm-hmm. Look, okay. All of us, I think, want to believe that the world will be a, become a better place, that okay. our futures are going to improve, and that our lives will be better for our children than it was for us. Okay. And that's, I think, part of the conversation we have as a as a nation now as to whether or not that's indeed still true. Yeah, it affects mood. Folks, we're talking with Rebecca Ray, who's Executive Vice President of the Knowledge Organization at the Conference Board, about their annual job satisfaction report, which is just being released, I think, as we speak, are we like the lead dog on this one, Rebecca? Or uh, it, it, you're in the, at the at the front of the pack. Oh, here, front so. of it! Yay! Yeah, it's all <laughs> right. just happening now. So, <laughs> right, that's good. All right, uh, let's talk about uh, the breakdown here because that's really maybe even the more interesting stuff. So you have all kinds of different aspects. Uh, of satisfaction, satisfaction with different kinds of uh, of things, uh, but but maybe before we get to that one, the other thing I wanted to ask was about the differences across the country, and maybe if you've got them, differences across the industries. So it looks like the happiest state is drum roll, please, um, Minnesota, and uh, is that some people would say because everybody's just nice there, or is that uh, a myth? <laughs> Well, having just been to Minnesota, um, they are lovely people. Um, But I don't think that accounts for all of it. Not all of it. Not all of it. I'm sure it's a factor. Can you tell tell us who the stinker is? Which state has the lowest satisfaction? Oh, you know, I'd have to look it up. And I don't want to cast dispersions on any state that, you know, perhaps is not at the bottom of the pack. Yeah. Texas, Um, Texas has been pushed out, though, right? Texas was number one before. Uh, yes, that's right. That's okay. right. I think it's Arkansas and Mississippi are like sort of at the tail end of the parade Ooh. here. Um, you know, that's really too largely, bad because they're they're often at the bottom of everything anyway. So you think you'd hope they'd be cut cut a break on this one <laughs> at least. At least yeah, people maybe you know, be happier there, but no. <laughs> you would hope. I mean, because there's obviously you know it's a warmer climate and some of the areas are just breathtakingly beautiful. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a a low per capita uh, income. Yep. And that's that's a factor. I think. Yeah. That's Do you notice, uh, although it is interesting, as the economy has improved, so a simple explanation would be, of course, people in different states are happy or less happy be- because of the jobs they're in, the industries that are there, right? Um, different set of industries in West Virginia, for example, than you might find in Florida, right? And yeah, maybe, no question. Maybe that would drive no it. Question. but But the economy, as it's come back, the interesting thing is it seems to have come back more than in other times, pretty much across the board, right? So it's not like we've had a boom in one sector of the economy and busts elsewhere. It's been pretty robust across the entire economy because this was a banking crisis, so everything kind of went down 
uh, at the sort of the same level. Uh, and so the fact that states would shift places seems a little surprising to me and, and really pretty interesting. Off the top of your head, you know of any others that were big shifts? Some states came up and others not so much? Yeah, you know, I think for the most part, there was less movement um, that was dramatic. Okay. Um, yeah. But I do think that there's, um, you know, some... Uh, some territories, and a lot of times we look at things in territories because individual states may not tell you quite as much. Okay. Um, but you have Nebraska and Iowa um, mm-hmm. had an average job satisfaction of 46% for like Ooh. the last few years, you know, really? remains consistently high. Huh. It's just, it's not a lot of movement. And I think, you know, Texas popped up quite a bit because they do some pretty innovative things in their economy and, you know, business environment and whatnot. But um, I do think that... Um, you know, overall, you're right. You know, I think this is a rising tide that's lifted a mm-hmm. lot of boats. So you want to start with the unhappy or the happy? Well, let's breeze through the happy because that's okay. going to take just a minute, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, at the top, um, that was not terribly surprising, and some of this has, has not uh, shifted a great deal, although I will say people at work is uh, is the number one. So I, what, is that, what does that actually mean? I like the people uh, I work it, with? It, that's right. You enjoy okay. the, your colleagues, your coworkers, oh, right? Okay. That's good. Um, the the second one is the commute to work, over which you know organizations had zero control. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Um, people like the work that they do. In many cases, the interest in work is how we we phrase it. It's you know whether or not you actually like the work that you do. Okay. Uh, the supervisor um, got some pretty high marks, and mm-hmm. that's uh, nice to see because in the past it hasn't always been quite that high. Let's stop. Can and we then, stop there for a second and, yes. and talk about yes. some of these because they're interesting. Because. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I find striking, and of course I, I haven't looked at the actual phrasing of the questions, but so very high is, as you just said, people's satisfaction with their supervisor, which is, you know, mm-hmm. which is really nice. You know, perhaps it's related that they like their colleagues and their supervisor. Mm-hmm. But, you know, jumping perhaps ahead, the the lowest scores were given to promotion policy and bonus plan. Mm-hmm. So how how does that work? I love my supervisor, but <laughs> he's the guy who is who is in charge of uh, deciding my bonus and helping me with my promotion. Yeah. So sure. that's well, interesting. It's a, it's a little bit like we all hate Congress, but we love our personal congressperson. Mm, you think that's what's going on? Yeah. Okay. I, I think so, in, at least in part. And here's, here's why I think that. So you can have um, relatively high regard for your supervisor, yep. meaning that he or she is fair or, yep. you know, is someone who supports you in terms of getting your work done, that sort of thing, um, and yet feel uncomfortable with the organization's promotion policy yeah. or the bonus pool, which, you know, when times are tight, has often been the thing that's the discretionary cut. Yeah. And so quite often, you know, workers may see that that's well beyond the um, it's well beyond the control of their individual supervisor, right. and it is the organization that has failed. And in fact, when we get to the bottom feeders, um, they're almost all, you know, directly related to organizational choices. Yeah. Although uh, Rebecca, let me ask you about this because this this really I think Yvonne raised a really interesting question here because we often say that for subordinates, the supervisor is kind of the organization for you. That's the person you see. They represent the organization. Correct. They're the one that give you feedback and, you know, pass on policies and, you know, uh, you know, negotiate on your behalf for, for the higher-ups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yet they're – and you also hear that uh, people who quit jobs, you know, a disproportionate reason is that they don't like their boss, right? We hear that a lot, and there's some evidence that that's – one of the top reasons. 
Um, so in, in that sense, it's quite – it surprises me anyway that the supervisors are rated so highly. I, I think that's a great thing. I'm, I'm surprised to see it's, it's maybe, so Maybe high. all the people who hated the supervisor already quit. Quit. And they are <laughs> not in the same. That's, that's true. They got fired maybe, right? They're but not, maybe, anyway, you know, this is uh, – sometimes this happens in organizations that, you know, uh, that the supervisor will then say, oh, you know, I know it's terrible. I – but that's nothing I can do, nothing, yeah. even though it's not true. Not my fault. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and that yeah, can we call that. Yeah, we call that an absence of managerial courage. When you, say, you know, I yep. wanted to rate you highly, but I, my hands were tied. Mm-hmm. They had me in this forced curve, and I had to put you at the bottom. Yeah, you know that's. That's just not the mark of a good leader. Right. It's not. I, I, I hear you. I wonder if it makes uh, makes people like their supervisor more, though. That's an interesting question. I, I wonder if it makes them feel as though they're not – they haven't hitched their wagon to a star. Yeah. You know, if you have, yeah. a, if you have a manager who's spineless, yeah. um, you know, we ask a lot of our workers now. We ask them to provide discretionary effort. We ask them to swing for the fence. We ask them to come to us with ways to improve, to deliver a high level of customer service to go out there and compete and win in a, in a world that's, you know, rapidly changing and driven by technology and yep. disruption. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, to, to, if you don't have someone that you feel is going to help you learn and grow, move forward in your career, um, be fabulous now and be fabulous for the thing you want to be when you grow up, yep. then, then I wonder how much of, of the supervisor you can just sort of, well, forgive when he or she doesn't. Do those kinds of things. Right. So, that, that's, a, that's a good point. Uh, let, let me see if I can uh, point out some of the ones that I think are most interesting, and then Rebecca, jump in. Uh, sure. Toward the bottom of the list, workload is uh, something that uh, is sort of near the bottom, least satisfied, 36%. And recognition and acknowledgement, presumably for the work you do, is next to that at uh, only 37%, which, again, I find that interesting <laughs> given that they like their supervisor who is the person who you would think is most uh, likely to be in charge of giving you recognition and yeah, acknowledgement. But maybe, maybe, you know, all these psychologists we have at Wharton, maybe they are right that um, focusing on the, you know, the soft atmosphere uh, in the workplace is a more effective uh, and certainly cheaper way to raise general satisfaction than with, you know, with promotion bonuses or, mm. you know, issues like work plan or, or wages in the middle. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's what com- companies have been doing, that they realize, oh, you know, we can we get more bang for the buck, so to speak. Although they're not uh, th- not happy with recognition and acknowledgement, which is what you would All right. th- is the okay. cheap thing to do, right? Yeah. Uh, would be able to yeah. do that. Rebecca, what stands out for you? Great point, yeah, Peter. Thank you. <laughs> what stands out for you, Rebecca? Anything on the negative side that's not so good? Yeah, so... You know, I I know you and I have spoken about this before, and it is the thing that I hope uh, gets fixed. Um, But I think most companies don't get performance management right. Mm -hmm. And so if they don't get that right, and people feel as though it's it's not fair, it's not um, conducive to helping people grow, where it's, you know, we've got a forced uh, curve and we're going to have to find the bottom feeders. And, you know, it's just one of the most soul-crushing things in the organization. Yeah. So yep. if you think about that, if the performance review process, which is the third to the last, right, yep. that determines how you're paid. It determines your bonus. It determines whether or not you get promoted. It determines whether or not you get recognized for the extraordinary effort that you put in. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I've shared this before. You know my philosophy. I don't think anybody gets up at the beginning of the morning and says, how can I be a mediocre person today? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think most people swing for the fence. Mm-hmm. And I think despite all the stuff that's going on in the world and the headlines and their own personal lives and everything else they have to carry into the workplace, 
most people, I think, try to do a decent job. Mm-hmm. And where they don't, we need to either support them, counsel them out, find them a new job, a new position, something, right? Yep. Yep. But the vast majority of workers are in there trying to do something decent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you feel as though you have perhaps put um, a deadline for the company ahead of maybe going to your son's soccer game or something, or you, you, you have a, a, a track record of consistently uh, being there for the company, and you feel as though no one noticed, much, as, much less rewards you, then I think that's one of the, the fastest ways to find disengaged employees. Yeah. A lot of times this isn't, you know, gee, let's give you a trip to Hawaii. This is about writing a handwritten note and mm-hmm. leaving it with a subordinate saying, I know you did this. Yep. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And you uh, made an impact. You know, I'm looking down this this list. It all sounds right to me. And and the thing that should worry, I think, some companies is things that people are the least happy about are all things around policies and practices. And the things they're happiest about have have to do with none of those, right? Like the yeah, I think the yeah the only exceptions might be you know flex flexible work arrangements, which is a policy, but. You know, any company today that feels like they have to watch, they have to have their eyeballs on an employee all the time to make sure that they are productive yep. is fighting a losing battle. Now, how about the issue of wages? Let me ask you both, Yvonne, on this one. Wages end up being right in the middle, I suppose. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it surprising that it's in the middle? Are you surprised? That- a little bit, yeah. uh, given that, you know, wage growth has it's not been, been yeah, um, you know, flat. has been surprisingly flat yeah, since right. the recession. So I'm, I'm actually... Struck, and I did know this, that uh, job satisfaction has been steadily improving since 2011 Yeah, mm-hmm. because wages have not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could that's, be hap- yeah. that's an interesting, you know, that's an interesting, uh, yeah, I did not know this. I find this actually quite striking. Yeah, and the fact that they, uh, it asks explicitly about wages, yeah. satisfaction with wages, and they're really not so dissatisfied with, with mm. their wage level despite this, yeah. right, which is a little yeah. surprising. Yeah. I think there's a couple things at play here. Everything is relative, and every year it's a snapshot in time, right? Mm -hmm. So if you feel as though your wages have now started to rise, as opposed to a couple of years ago when they were held flat or bonuses were removed or a variety of things, you you could understand Mm -hmm. how that would be, right? Mm -hmm. A cost of living wage or an increase or a merit increase, you know, may have been one of the first things that was cut when times were tight. Yep. But mm-hmm. This is not dissimilar to uh, other things that we see, uh, you know, in this arena. Gallup uh, two days ago came out with um, their study, which uh, talks a little bit about the number of people who think they're paid about right, and it's fifty percent. Is that right? So uh, yeah, uh. so it's it's you know it's it's in the ballpark. I yeah. think yeah. I think the thing to kind of keep in mind is that. Uh, everything is a snapshot in time, right. and right. it depends on what your last experience was and how it compares. Right? Let me uh, float a hypothesis about bonuses, and you guys can tell me what you think. So next to the bottom, the least satisfied is with the employer's bonus plan. And why that would be, you know, wages are right about in the middle, but bonuses way, way, way at the bottom. And I wonder if that is because the stock market's booming – and people are expecting that um, they're not maybe expecting the wages would would go up so much, but in in terms of the sharing the wealth thing, maybe they think that's what a bonus is supposed to do, and those aren't happening or something. No, I, I think it is. It is just a simple reflection of a, of a basic um, statistic inside organizations, which is that when you look at performance inside organization, not compensation, but performance, yep. um, it is very unequal. 
So the the top one percent of uh, employees oh, generate okay. ten mm-hmm. to fifteen percent of, oh, okay. of yeah. you know of of the profit. Let's let's put it this way. So okay. that's not a that's not a very um, you know uh, in, pro- that's not an inf- that's not a, a piece of information that is propagated very right. very much inside organizations. So that's and given that uh, the average per- person will be disappointed with their bonus. Yeah. Um, because it goes uh, disproportionately to very, very few. Right. So this so is an inequality. It is uh, reflecting this inequality. Yeah. Um, and, rep- and, you know, just to add, you know, companies have been hugging their bonus um, allocation more closely okay. to the performance distribution mm-hmm. than before. Okay. And so this might be a reason why it is pushed down. Yeah. Rebecca, what's your guess? So I think I think all of that is, is absolutely on point. I think there's another factor at play here. Okay. So... As you have millennials and now we have, you know, Gen Zs coming in, this is a, generally speaking, and I don't mean to take such a broad brush, but generally speaking, this is a generation emerging into the workplace with a much heavier debt load. And so a lot of the, a lot of the impressions of bonuses are, um, I think there's a lot of pressure on trying to get ahead, to get more skills, to get a better job, to make more money, to be more successful, because they have a debt load that they're they're trying to to manage. Okay. And the harder it is for folks to do that, uh, the more you're going to encourage people to to chase the money. And I, I'm I'm the last one to say that millennials are job hoppers. That's not that's not at all what we see in the literature. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can understand how they would be motivated to. Uh, be looking for that overall compensation package because they have such uh, such a, a load that they're carrying and i think the smartest benefit now that you're seeing on the on the horizon are ways for organizations to help alleviate that debt uh, burden oh okay and yeah hmm. like places like uh, gratify mm-hmm. um, you know where they're actively partnering with organizations to help people address the uh, the debt load issue okay because if, if they don't have discretionary effort excuse me discretionary income uh, uh, d- income yeah. you're not going to max out on your 401k right yeah and you're mm-hmm. you're not going to do the kinds of things that that you know that if you start early that's how you build wealth yep and they mm-hmm. simply can't and in mm-hmm. many cases you know you have younger workers they like the urban setting those are generally speaking more extensive places to live and so it just becomes a um, sort of an interconnected knocky problem okay yeah, no, that could very well be too. So we got a bunch of interesting hypotheses, and we will revisit them at some point when we get answers to them. Rebecca, we should let you go. Thanks very much for being with us. Thank you. Always a pleasure. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.